along with Rich DeCray, listening to Sooner Nation, the online podcast of Heartland Sports. Heartland-sports.com is where you can find us. Rich, I have concerns. Right off the bat, I have concerns. Um, I don't know how to respond to that because I'm hoping that we're, we're talking sports here. Yeah, my concerns are we have so much to talk about today. I don't think we can get it in in an hour. That's I mean, okay. I mean, That's I just, okay. I just feel like we're we're just gonna rush through this. But got a huge guest lined up for uh, today's podcast. Um, gonna talk some Arizona Cardinals and um, Kyler Murray. Um, not everyone, you'll, this this may come as a, a shock to you, but not everyone believes that Kyler Murray is going to end up in Arizona. And our special guest today takes that opinion, as do you, Rich. I mean, you take that opinion? Um, we can talk about that here okay. in a little bit, okay? All right. Well, we're I'll divulge some information. You're going to break it down for us. Also <laughs> got some things, um, you know, talking about Oklahoma's defense. There's some starting to get some information coming out on Oklahoma's defense. We know uh, there's, there's been some uh, movement with Caleb Kelly again. Um, Grinch said who his starting safeties would be if the season were to start uh, this week. Um, a couple of basketball players jump in the transfer portal. Baseball drops a huge series, and I say huge, I'll explain that to you later on, uh, at West Virginia. Softball, four consecutive run rules, but is there a pitching issue that I'm pretty sure you and I are going to debate? And, man, we, we got to talk about the Oklahoma City Thunder because, I mean, as we're recording this podcast, they are getting ready to play the Los Angeles Lakers without LeBron James, without Lonzo Ball, which means the Lakers are probably going to win because anytime the Thunder play a team without their star – they end up losing. How far have the Thunder dropped? Uh, we're going to talk all about that. Sooner Nation podcast. He's Rich DeCray. I'm Matt Hofeld. Our first guest, uh, we're going to just go ahead and jump on here and, and bring him in. Um, he, he, covers, he covers Arizona Cardinals for the Arizona Republic. Bob McManaman is his name, and he has a little bit of a different take on the whole Kyler Murray thing, so... Let's take our first real quick break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, Priceline. And then we're going to jump back in and have him on. Special guest right now, Bob McManaman of the Arizona Republic. Bob covers the Arizona Cardinals of the NFL. Cardinals with the number one overall pick in the upcoming NFL draft. Oklahoma fans feel like Kyler Murray may be that guy that hears his name called on the first draft night. Bob, how are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Certainly excited to have you uh, on the podcast with this, particularly with the draft coming up. The rumor mill is so heavy right now in regards to Arizona and that top overall pick with Oklahoma fans involved wanting to know about Kyler Murray. Are we at a point where the only thing that we know for sure is that Arizona does have the top overall pick or are there more substantial uh, things behind these rumors regarding Kyler Murray, regarding Nick Bosa? What is the pulse right now of the Cardinals organization? It it changes the way the wind blows, uh, at least out here, and, and even a, around any NFL city that that can be called quarterback needy. Um, 
the latest now is is after working him out yesterday, uh, the Raiders uh, might have been Sunday, Sunday or Monday. They uh, they seem all completely in on Kyler Murray, and and that just whets the appetite even more because now you're talking about a very big blockbuster trade potentially, with Oakland possibly sending all three of its first round picks to the Cardinals in exchange for that number one. Uh, Cardinals would go down to four, get 24, and pick number 27, and I think they'd take that in a heartbeat. Now you wonder, can it get even better? Is that a possibility? Is Gruden, has Gruden fallen in love with the kid? And, you know, talking to him at the Combine at, at, at last week's owners' meetings here in, in town, uh, I get the feeling that he's willing to roll the dice, um, maybe even more so than the Cardinals, and you know how much Kingsbury loves Kyler Murray. You know, the thing that we've always said is that Cliff Kingsbury, Kyler Murray is a, you know, match made in heaven. Uh, you know, Kingsbury's been around Kyler Murray. He knows him from the recruiting trail back in his Texas A&M days, certainly coached against him uh, when he was at Texas Tech, Kyler Murray at the University of Oklahoma. We know the comments uh, that were made during that time, late October. Um, you you got to think that if, if, if Cliff's you move everything out of the way, you know, you take away potential trades, you take away everything else. And you just say, uh, Cliff, here's all the players in the draft. You get to pick one, which one do you want? You got to think that Kyler Murray's that guy. That that's, that's the first name that's going to come out of his mouth. Right. Now I, 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 I it, it may very well be, but here's, there's a, there's a small little tiny catch. Cliff Kingsbury doesn't get to make this pick. This is right. an organizational pick. And, and, uh, you know, I've I, I've never seen a coach here, not since Buddy Ryan in '94, '95, get to make his own pick because he was also the GM, and that's the last time it's happened. So I think, as much as uh, the hiring of Kingsbury was tied to obviously his offensive prowess and ability to work with quarterbacks and put up a lot of points, the thinking originally, I believe, was that he could do that with with Josh Rosen. You add this into the mix, and sure, I would with unequivocally Kingsbury would, was is tied to Kyler, uh, but this team needs more than needs. I I would say anyone would agree it needs more than than a quarterback. I mean they have a quarterback, so it's not really a need. It's uh, and you draft the best player available. Is is Kyler Murray really the best player available in this draft? And you know he might he might be the most dynamic, hopeful superstar out of the bunch, but he's not the most NFL ready. He's not maybe the best athletic player in terms of everything a team is looking for. So it's a yes to no answer. Sorry. I hope that doesn't make the sound too confusing. So what's the voice of the fan? And when you, when you talk about Arizona and their fans as a, it's a franchise that struggled, they, they want to see winning. They want to see a product. They want to sell tickets. Is it a mixed bag with, with the fan base or do some of them want Kyler Murray and, and the the electricity, so to speak, that he brings, or is it some that are just like you know seeing the big picture and and seeing that what you can do with this draft pick and 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 the overall rise of the franchise? What are you hearing uh, when it comes to the fan base? Yeah, it's completely a mixed bag, and I get emails and um, I mean all the time, every day, uh, and. You get one part of the group saying, "What the hell are they doing? We don't need a five foot eight quarterback." Hate to break it, it's five ten, uh, hopefully. <laughs> uh, and the other group says, "We need 
Joey Bo- or Nick Bosa. We need Quinton Williams. We don't need another quarterback. You just spent, you know, two draft picks to move up to get Rosen last year. What are you doing? Tell them they're out of their mind. Oh, I hope we get Kyler Murray. You know, it's it's uh, yeah, it's uh, again like the way the wind blows is how people feel about it. But the closer we get, the closer we'll get an answer. And, you know, if there's going to be a trade for either that pick or for Rosen, it's going to happen uh, pretty soon, I would think. Teams need to know where where they are. Usually, you get blockbuster trades a week or two before the draft. Before the draft, and obviously, sometimes it happens on the first day of the draft. But a deal like this, it potentially could be so shattering in, in many ways and changing of organizations. I think it's going to happen a week or two out. So we're, we're, we're almost at that stage. You're listening to Sooner Nation, the online podcast of Heartland Sports. Heartland-sports.com is where you can find us on the web. Our special guest right now, Bob McManaman of the Arizona Republic. Bob, you got to think, at least I would think, if, if, if Arizona is going to make a move, that they're going to try to send Josh Rosen somewhere would it happen before this coming week when OTA start? I mean, you're kind of up against a the clock there uh, with a with a quarterback that you're trying to potentially move. But do you does he participate? Does he go through those, or do you? If you're Arizona, like I said, you hopefully you've got this resolved by the time OTAs get started. Well, that's a great question because they start um, next Monday on the eighth. Cardinals do, and uh, you know there's a very very good chance Josh Rosen won't won't be there either a because he's mad or b they're telling him to stay away we don't want to damage a possible trade uh, asset uh, and by risking him getting hurt we certainly don't want to expose him to the media uh, and stir up more of a hornet's nest that's already there so it it might behoove them uh, to, to do a deal before next Monday, and, and there you go. We're up to the minute now, if that's a potentiality. So um, then again, he might show up, and they might not make him available for to reporters. Um, but I would think if there's a possible deal in the mix, they're going to want to make it as sweet as possible, and that means milking the clock and taking it as close to the draft as possible. So they do have to weigh that in, you know, the whole – how uncomfortable is this going to be for us, our coach, our, our our quarterback, if Rosen is still on the roster? We're we're going gaga over Kyler. When it comes to Josh Rosen, I mean the the man, the player. Has anyone had any contact with him? Has anyone from his camp spoken out? Has there been any word on on how he's dealing with this situation? I've tried. Uh, a few times and have not had any success and he's laying low and it's probably at the directive of his agent and and probably by the cardinals if it's a smoke screen for sure you don't want to let that out of the bag so the best the least he says the better uh you gotta figure he's he's as tough as nails if they, if they really are interested in Tyler murray uh, i'd be saying something if i was him you know i I'd, I'd be asking for a trade i would make it public and if he's being a good soldier, I salute him, and and uh, he's he's earned a, a lot more of my respect if if he's just playing playing along with this, or or if it's the other way, and they've told him, hey, we're we're going to draft Kyler, just you know, hang in there. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, uh, and this is a very likable guy, Josh Rosen. He is smart, he's witty, uh, but he, he's also a very proud guy and very competitive. And, 
Uh, I'm sure he's pissed off one way or the other. Does he, um, normally, people would bark about something like this. He has, and I salute him. So you mentioned the word smokescreen. Um, is, what is the percentage chances that all of this love for Kyler Murray that Cliff Kingsbury and the Cardinals organization has sent out there, what are the chances that it's, it is it's just a big smokescreen in order to gain leverage to kind of keep the rest of the NFL in the dark as far as what draft picks are going where? I mean, is there a chance that this is just there, – there really is not an interest in Kyler Murray and that they're using this uh, as a ploy for other purposes? Yeah, I think that's a real likelihood. Um, it, you, you know, they tell you to trust your first instinct, what your gut tells you first, and uh, even when uh, the, the soundbite came out from Cliff in October about how I draft him if I had the first pick – Obviously, it just turned the tables. And then there was the measurables when we were in Indy for the combine. And a 5'8 guy became 5'10 and an 8. And that changed everything. But the first gut is instinct tells you they have a quarterback. Why not get the best pass rusher available? Uh, a, a guy in Nick Bosa, who the Cardinals' new linebacker coach, Billy Davis spent the past two years coaching at Ohio State and is raving about the kid and telling us this guy is going to be turned into one of the one of the great outside linebackers and and he's going to make an impact the way Terrell Suggs made an impact for 16 years old and look who's on the Cardinals now Terrell Suggs look who else is on the Cardinals uh, Chandler Jones there there's room in a three four defense to use Nick Bosa as a defensive end or convert him to outside linebacker uh, very easily. And, and, and that's what my first gut has always been. Uh, and then you, you, you get drawn into the romantic, romantics of, of Kyler sweeping people off their feet with his workouts, his pro day, uh, his private shock time. Uh, and, and then you start to question it. But I keep going back to my first gut, and it says they're going to, either trade that pick for somebody who really wants Kyler Murray and probably the Raiders, maybe the Dolphins. I don't think Cardinals want to go back as far as 13 unless they can get a couple extra first round picks, you know, next year, the year after and something else to appease them at the moment. So uh, if they can't get that, I think they're going to take Nick Bosa. You know, covering the University of Oklahoma, Big 12 football, we, we've had our fair share of exposure to Cliff Kingsbury you know, interesting offseason for him. Gets dismissed from Texas Tech, goes to USC for like a day, uh, interviews with the Jets, lands with the Arizona Cardinals. What has his transition been like? How, how is he fitting in there in Arizona, and what's the overall thought of, of the hire for him as the next coach? Yeah, well, he's a he's a very interesting individual, and – uh, a fascinating guy in many ways and, and having the opportunity to sit down with him for a one-on-one and really have at it with him. Uh, it, 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 fascinating is the word that keeps popping into my head because this guy can talk football in circles around you and, and, and won't, and, and, <laughs> and, and he draws your, draws you in with these concepts. And then, he won't even tell you what his offense is going to look like because it's it's secret. But if you go into his office, there's 
pages and pages of legal pads, you know, everywhere with plays and designs and thoughts and quotes and and half plays and trick plays, and they're everywhere. I mean, everywhere in his office. He's like a mad scientist, and you, you, then you wonder what what he could do with a guy like Kyler, and you wonder what he could do with a guy like Rosen. So, I I love the hire in that it's it's different for this team. I don't I don't think Steve Wilkes got a fair shake from them last year, but it is what it is. It's their team. They decided they want to score points. Um, the offense was ridiculed last year. It was also awfully beat up. This guy is going to focus squarely on on offense. That's why he did name an offensive coordinator. He brought in uh, Tom Clements to, to to be quarter to help quarterback coach, um, and and calls him a passing game coordinator. But yeah, everything's going to run through Cliff. Vance Joseph's going to handle the defense. I I think uh, the the Cardinals. Because of King, because of the hiring and the way they did it, you're right. Interesting guy who had a losing record, but is you know he's known for averaging you know 30 points and 500 yards of offense a game, even though he he had a losing record. Obviously, you're not going to get those numbers in the NFL. It's impossible. You can't you can't just replicate it that way. But it's going to be interesting to see what he can do. And there's been versions of this air raid type offense that's crept into the league over the last seven, eight, nine years. It'll be interesting to see how much of it he can bring uh, and really make it his. Uh, but I like the fact he says my personnel, uh, the, the system will, will build around what we have. We don't need to go get certain guys to run it. I can I can make anybody play it. So I'm, I'm curious to see what he can do. He's a smart guy. And he, he works his butt off for sure. You know, Bob, one thing about Cliff Kingsbury is you hated facing his offense, particularly in Lubbock, Texas. And, you know, it didn't matter who the quarterback was. You just you, you didn't want to go up against them because you know that the sheer volume and the numbers that they're going to put up against your defense. And you just got to think it's, it's only a matter of time before opponents in the NFC West begin to have that same thought towards Kingsbury and beginning their preparations to defend him and what he's going to do offensively. Yeah, no, I was just going to say it. Uh, I know everybody's going to expect a, a no-huddle, up-tempo, you know, kind of Chip Kelly thing that he tried to do. But don't forget, this team has a running back named David Johnson, and, and Kingsbury's made it a point to keep referencing that. Look, we're going to run the ball, too. and uh, Maybe, you know, you can run out of a no-huddle, uh, too. Uh, but this guy can also catch the ball. It's going to be really interesting how they use him. And, uh, it'll see what the splits look like. Well, Oklahoma fans are certainly going to want to follow this story, keep up with the changes and the rumors and so forth as the NFL draft approaches. Tell our, our listeners, readers, where they can find uh, your stories, your insights, your opinions on the Arizona Cardinals and their draft pick as the, the NFL draft approaches at the end of the month. Yeah. Yeah. Go to azcentral.com and click on the sports page. Go to Cardinals. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at AZBobbyMac, M-A-C. Well, Bob, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for your time with us today. Enjoy, uh, I guess, the time leading up to the draft. Enjoy the coverage and then actually being there for the uh, number one overall pick. Well, Rich, you've been telling me, I mean, for a while now, that you felt Kyler Murray, you said maybe number four pick to the Raiders. But, you, I mean, you, you've kind of had the inclination 
the leaning, the gut. I, I don't know, you, but you've been saying that you don't know, you don't think Kyler Murray is going to end up as an Arizona Cardinal. No. Um, with some unusual circumstances around that, this has happened before, Matt, in our history. You know that. For you, the listener, you probably don't know that. But there's um, this idea floating around about Kyler Murray being the most intriguing prospect in the NFL draft. And Which I, is true. I can't disagree with that. But what I do like, we're going to call him Bobby Mack here because he signed off using that. What Bobby Mack said I think makes a lot of sense. And what, when I say that, I'm, I'm specifically referencing this one statement is that he started talking about the gut instinct or the gut feeling that you get. And I guess it never really occurred to me that Arizona had traded two picks in order to move up to get Josh Rosen last year. Mm-hmm. I thought they just fell at that point in the draft order. He was still available. So they went ahead and selected him. Knowing that they've given that up to keep this guy, it makes this whole idea of, of trading him and what you get in return for that trade, if that's what's going to go down, that much more vital to this franchise and the future of this team specifically. So when I'm looking at the situation, like I said, Bobby Mack made, made a really good point that I can't disagree with when he began talking about that because I I do believe at this very moment that Arizona is probably going to trade that pick away. I mean, I'm convinced of that almost 100% at this point. I think Arizona's going to trade something. I think they're they're, they're leveraging – and that's why I asked him about the whole smokescreen thing and all this stuff because Arizona's leveraging, all right? They're they're either going to trade their pick or they're going to trade Josh Rosen. And, and the reason why I, I can say that comfortably is because there's too many rumors out there about teams interested in Josh Rosen. You've got the Patriots that are interested. You've got um, uh, most recently the Washington Redskins jumped in there. And the, people are showing interest. You know, Todd Mache, I think it's Todd Mache said that, the, the, you know, they've, they've been offered second-round draft picks for him. Now the Cardinals won a first-rounder. I still think, and I'm just going what I know of Cliff Kingsbury, and I threw that out there. And, 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 you know, and Bob made a good point that, you know, Kingsbury is not making his pick. He's not going to be the guy who makes the draft pick. But he is going to have some influence. He, he's going to be able to say, I really, really want this guy. And I'm and you you and I had this conversation off the air. I'm not convinced that Bosa is even the best defensive player in the draft. I, I If I had that opportunity and I got to take a defensive guy, I'm taking Oliver. I'm, I'm taking him way over Bosa just because I think he's more of, an, a, of a rusher, impact, game-changing and I don't know how that fits in with Arizona, but I do know a quarterback didn't fit in either, you know. But I still, unless Oakland comes through and says, here's three first-round draft picks. If Oakland comes in and says, here's three first-round draft picks, it's a no-brainer. You pass right. on Kyler Murray. Right. You, you keep Josh Rosen. But unless you get something like that, I, I still I still say Kyler Murray is going to be an Arizona Cardinal. I mean, we, we've got you know a couple weeks to – see this in about three weeks or really to see what happens, I guess, four weeks. But it, it is it is an interesting perspective, and it makes sense. But at the end of the day, I go back to my very first question. The only thing that we know factually right now is that Arizona has the first pick in the draft. Right. That's all we know. And, and you can argue all day about who the best prospect 
in this NFL draft is because with the number one pick, I think regardless of position, you've got to take the top guy, knowing that you. Mm, can I, don't, make, I don't. I don't agree with that. But you, you, like, you just address a need. Yeah, you. Just, I mean, you, so you take the top pick, but just address the need at that at, with that top pick. Then, then uh, here's all I'm getting at here, Matt. Is that's not the quarterback for Arizona. Well, that, and that's what Bob's saying. Right. But it, but it, it could be the need based on what Cliff Kingsbury wants to do. You see, what I'm saying mm-hmm. Cliff Kingsbury could say to his ownership group, "Look, here's what I want to do, but with Josh Rosen, here's what I can do." You know what I'm saying? So it, it that could become a need based on what Cliff Kingsbury wants. But I, I, I disagree in general that you take the top overall pick or the, the best, the highest rated guy in the draft because that I mean that that doesn't always fit your circumstance. It, I'm in and I know you're laughing at me because you're saying, well, that doesn't fit Arizona, but it like, again, <laughs> it absolutely could because you have and and I'm all I mean I put everything out there. I'm not a big Cliff Kingsbury fan. I, I feel like he was overrated as a coach at Texas Tech. Because he always failed to address defense. Now he's in a position, laundry's done. Now he's in a position where he has to address defense, right? So he's going to hire guys and, and put guys in charge of that. He's still going to be very hands off. But offensively, the guy can coach. And you heard Bob talk about all the legal pads and the plays that are drawn up, drawn up. And he's going to talk schematics and he's going to talk this and this. But you're never really going to know what his offense looks like. And the reason why. It's because he doesn't know who his quarterback's going to be. I bet he has a stack of legal pads for Josh Rosen and a bigger stack of legal pads for Kyler Murray. Making that where Kyler Murray could be a need, but again, it's not going to be his choice. Here, I'm going to go back here because we know, the only thing we know, and this has been said multiple times now this podcast, is that Arizona does have that number one pick. What they do with it is the big unknown at this point, but they've got to set themselves up to be successful. And when I talk about taking the overall draft pick, that the top prospect with that number one overall draft pick, I think you begin to put yourself in that type of a position because it really comes down to just one, two, maybe three guys that you think could go number one. Last year, I think, was a little bit of an anomaly with Baker Mayfield because no one had predicted him as that number one pick. Now, all of a sudden, Kyler Murray's inserted himself into that conversation, cemented himself there following the combine, following the pro day. I do think he's one of the top draft picks. I do think he's one of the best prospects, but... If you're going to go out and argue that's it's Ed Oliver, Nick Bosa, Kyler Murray, whoever that might be, you have to evaluate that yourself. If Kyler Murray's that guy, I still think Arizona takes him. Because if even if they don't want him, truly want him on this roster, and they're going to stick with a Josh Rosen, they can still draft and trade. I mean, that is a possibility. That's why I say you take that number one, that number one prospect, the best not necessarily athlete, but most impactful player that's available. Well, if Kyler Murray ends up in Oakland, it's going to be that. I think it's going to be a draft and trade. Because that you have all the leverage when you do that. You know, three first-round picks. Okay, here he is. We got him. He's yours for three mm-hmm. first-round picks. And again, I'm old enough to remember the Herschel Walker trade, <laughs> Dallas Cowboys, Minnesota Vikings, and the Cowboys built a franchise off of that trade. 
Kyler Murray could could pay dividends for Arizona in that in that manner. And if that's the case, then you got to take it. You you have to take that deal. Right now, I did like the fact as as a fan, I did like the fact that the Dolphins got a little bit of a mention in there. You know, but being down at thirteen, they're going to have to give up some stuff for next year as well uh, in order to make that happen for them. But the Dolphins, and I've told you about this. The Dolphins actually have they 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 have some um, some extra draft picks to spend, and they need a quarterback. So, well, you I'm, don't, I'm holding out hope. You don't that, want to put yourself in a, a similar position to Oklahoma City, who basically has no first round draft picks for the foreseeable future. But the Dolphins, the, the Dolphins always <laughs> mess up draft picks anyway. So I, that I feel may, maybe it's better if they don't have. I, I and I still stick to my guns on this. I think. There is a better chance the Miami Dolphins get Josh Rosen than any other quarterback out there. I, the Dolphins are that franchise. Even, even through the draft. Yes. I, I really feel like. Because I'm on boat with Will Greer. We've had this conversation no, but see, and, and you, well. We have, but see, I, and I haven't told you this, but I like Drew Locke better than I like Will Greer, truthfully, when it comes to quarterbacks. But I feel like there is a better chance for the Dolphins to go out and grab Josh Rosen and You've already got a guy. You don't have to break in a rookie. He's already been broke in. And there's no worse place to get broke in than Arizona. I mean, if you're if you're getting broke in in Arizona, you've been through the Oakland, fire. Maybe. No, I think no. I think Arizona's <laughs> Matt, worse you, than Oakland. You were really big on Oakland not necessarily having a home. Well, even, they do have and, a and, they do have a home now. They're going to be in Oakland next right, season. And why why it would be such a bad pairing for a rookie quarterback to come in with the Raiders? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily John Gruden, but just the situation surrounding that entire team. And you specifically had mentioned their home. Well, yeah, because you don't... I do think it would be funny if Murray ends up in Oakland one way or the other. But, again, you've got an organization that's in transition. At some point, they're leaving Oakland. So, you, if you're, here's the thing. If you're Kyler Murray and you're drafted by Arizona, you're an immediate starter. If you're Kyler Murray and you're drafted by Oakland, you're not. And well, and they did load up on quarterbacks. Yeah, they've got like six quarters. They just signed right. Landry Jones, right. but also you're playing. You're not playing in front of. Uh, I mean, you're, the stadium's not even gonna be half full until you get to Las Vegas. And Las Vegas is a fly by the seat of your pants town. Uh, they will set attendance records their first two or three seasons in Las Vegas, but then they're gonna get old, um, especially if they're not winning. So um, yeah, there there's there are thoughts there um, about Oakland. I, again, I, I think John Gruden is a is a good enough offensive mind that if he wants Kyler Murray, he can do some things with Kyler Murray. But still, I, I still and, and the phrase we've always used: Kyler Murray, Cliff Kingsbury, match made in heaven. And we'll just have to see uh, how it goes with that. I I don't know. All right. Well, that's uh, you know that's almost. Uh, 30 minutes worth of talking about Kyler Murray. And, and you know, we still have four weeks to talk about him. Let's, let's switch gears. Um, spring practice, getting down to the nitty-gritty uh, for Oklahoma. It, it's been a lot of um, – it, it, before this last week, when you hear things come out about Oklahoma's defense, you hear speed, you hear takeaways. That's what we want to focus on. We want to get faster, and we want to take the ball away. So I'm going to play a word association with you. Uh-oh. Actually, it's number association, but whatever. I got Cody Ford in a little bit of trouble. <laughs> if that was funny, by the way, um, <laughs> that was that was good stuff, and good job on posting that article. If we um, 
All right, so here, here's your, I just want to throw this out there. What does the number 129 mean to you? Absolutely nothing. It means nothing to you? Should it? No, I don't know. It means everything to Oklahoma's defense because that's the number they're focusing on, 129. That's where Oklahoma ranked last year in pass defense. Trey Brown says, if we don't want to be 129 this year, we want to be top 10. Number one, if we're going to be honest, if we have a bad practice, he, meaning Alex Grinch, he lets us know we're looking like 129. That is the number that has circled the wagons for Oklahoma's defense. And one of the things that you and I have talked about is defensively, schematics mean one thing, fundamentals mean one thing, but mentality means everything. And the thing that I've talked about a lot is how are they going to change the mentality of this defense? Well, the answer could be found in the number 129 because no one likes to know how bad you are, right? And we, we're, we're in a culture where every, everything's good. We talked about candy bars last week. Hey, you did good. Here's a payday candy bar, you know. We want to hear how good we are. That's why social media is such a big thing. That's why uh, people throw out there their accomplishments on social media. So everyone can go in there and say, yeah, yeah, you're the best, right? But Alex Grinch has a motivation going, look, guys, I wasn't here last year, right? Last year, you were 129th nationally in pass defense. That effort you just gave me, that was a 129th ranked effort. I need top 10 effort. And I feel like maybe, just maybe, that is enough to start to get this mentality to change a little bit. What are your thoughts? I certainly agree. It is one foot in front of the other at this point in time and looking at progress as being a positive. I'm, I'm not saying to celebrate if you go, well, let's use the numbers here because we're already in this game. If you go from 129 to 127, I, I don't necessarily no, think no, that, that's, yeah, that's yeah. an improvement. That's but, not the one foot in front of the other. Yeah, but, but Trey Brown says they want to be top 10. Right. I mean, that's... that's I, sh- I sure hope that's the case, but that that's going to be difficult in the Big 12 specifically. No, I mean, it, it is. It is. But here's, here's what's. You're right. <laughs> you don't want to be top ten in the Big Twelve. I think they were top ten. In the, they were number ten. But here's the thing. Look, it, it's it, look. Ownership means a lot. To know how bad you were means a lot. And they're throwing that out there. One twenty nine. One twenty nine. But here's the thing. Listen to this quote from Trey Brown because this look, look what they've taken ownership of. Right. Trey Brown says that's the past. And if we were a little better, we would probably have a national championship right now. So we're just trying to focus on that and be better. The fact that the defense has taken the ownership and say, yeah, we've cost this team two national championships by by our level of play. I've talked about you. I've played, I've coached, you've been around it. The mentality of a team, a a unit or, or a position group, that goes a long way to defining who they are going to be. Does it not? And and when you talk about the challenge of changing this mentality, berating them with the idea that, hey, I mean, guys, last year, you, let me show you some video from last year. You don't believe me? You don't believe in that effort right there that you gave me is, is the worst in the Big 12? Let's show some video where we got that effort. That's, that's where I am on this. Well, we witnessed it firsthand. You were... In attendance, but it's not. It's not us witnessing it. It's, no, no, no. That's going to change. It's them exactly, accepting it. Exactly. I get that. And Matt, one thing that we continuously talk about, not necessarily with the Oklahoma Sooners, another program just a little bit further to the south, was this 
entitledness. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe if we're willing to be completely honest with ourselves, maybe this Oklahoma defense got to that point themselves. And it's reflected in that attitude, but taking the ownership, I mean, if they were going to sit there and deny, 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 we would have a serious issue. And as far as I know, everything I've read, Alex Grinch is this in-your-face kind of guy. If someone continuously denied him, do you think they'd still be on the team? Well, that brings me to my next point. You know, one of the things we talked about was uh, personnel. And you're, you're what you're seeing, Alex Grinch on Monday night after practice said, "Hey, if we're if we're playing a game right now, then then our starting safeties are going to be Delarian and Turner Yell and Patrick Fields, which is, I mean, they both that played. shocked me. No, it didn't shock me. They both played last year, mm-hmm. and Turner Yell had a had a. I, I think he would have played more had it not been for an injury early, you know, early yeah. on that kind of cost him like the first." five or six games of the season. Patrick Fields was a highly touted kid out of Tulsa and had eight an eight-tackle game against Alabama in the Orange Bowl. So there's talent there. Right. I'm not shocked by that. I'm excited by that because that means two things to me. The first thing it means is that, well, they, they both have to deal with Buki, right? The first thing it means is that maybe he's transitioning to a more natural position for him, which is the cornerback position. And the other thing is this experiment with him and say, hey, you're the five-star guy on our on our defense, so we're going to find a way to get you on the field, regardless of where that is. That is over. Mm-hmm. If they're looking at, you know, now there's still the chance he could come in and be a nickel, but I don't think so. I think the fact that you're looking at Turner Yell and Fields, basically, to me, that means Buki's out of that safety position group in this moment. Sorry, you said no, that no, surprises no. you because no, no, no. I, I do agree with you. The only reason it surprised me, Matt, is because a, a lot of what we generally talk about when it comes to who's going to earn that starting role, who's going to be the first man out on the field. A lot of it, it's not just talent. It's also experience. Mm -hmm. And these are guys who don't have the same level of experience as a couple of the other guys on the roster. But I'll tell you why I think it's a good thing, because it means that this whole defense, we're just looking at the safeties, I know, but it means this whole defense is an open competition. No one's guaranteed a starting position. You've got to go out and physically earn that day in and day out. And I think we're talking about maybe a position change. Here, I'm going to transition for you. A uh, position change for Radley Hiles. We, we saw that last year with Caleb Kelly to what a lot of people said was his natural position. I think if we're going to say anyone's going to start, he's our guaranteed starter as well as Neville Gallimore. I don't know that Neville Gallimore is a guaranteed starter. I mean, he's. Um, what are you going to do with Marquise Overton? I mean, I, I think I think there's 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 some legitimate battles going on. Um, and, you know, Patrick Fields said that it, he he took it personal that it, it hurt a little bit that he didn't come in and become an immediate starter. Especially looked at how bad the defense was last year. Mm-hmm. So you've got some hungry guys out there, and I agree. I think what's happening is you're seeing guys prove themselves all over again. And, and I like, I mean, Buki, what he's put out on Twitter, he's talking about being hungry, talking about, you know, fighting and, and all these things. I'm not saying he's out of out of the the uh, running for any position group, but I'm saying that maybe he's more of a natural, he's sliding over to something that's more natural to him at that corner position. And, right. and he's a younger guy as well. Um, I, I like where we are. I, I, I like the fact that Grinch basically said, 
if we were playing this week, if, if the season was starting, here's who we would go with. Not saying these guys have locked anything down because there's still a lot left. Caleb Kelly is another guy. I, I like the fact that they're, they're moving him. They're moving him back to what I believe is more of a natural spot for him at that weak side linebacker. And, and here's, here's what's good about that to me is they're, they're, this defense, since he got there, he has preached speed. We want to take advantage of speed. If you've got Caleb in the middle, you can't take advantage of his speed. He, it's, it's, too, it's too crowded in there. But put him on the weak side, suddenly this guy's speed becomes an issue. And, and you've seen with scooping scores, you've seen with the, the Baylor quarterback getting broken in half last year, how he can have a, a position that takes advantage of his speed and, and how that would affect him. I, I like it. I, I like the fact that Caleb Kelly is going back to a natural position. And I like the fact, I, I got to find this comment real fast. Um, um, right here. Um, Brian Odom, the linebackers coach for Oklahoma said, here, here's what he said it's about Caleb Kelly. This is uh, Brian Odom talking. He's athletic enough where he's got a long future ahead of him to be able to play and to continue to play. He's talking about NFL from here. Right. And it's our job to be able to help him play at a high level and play with speed and take all the gray area out of it for him. They just want this kid flying downhill. And the weak side linebacker position is the best opportunity he has to really highlight who he is as an athlete and as a football player. Yeah, and, and just to... I guess harp on this idea because we're talking about moving guys back to this natural position or even going a little bit further than that, Matt, you had mentioned because you're the five-star, you're the prized possession of this recruiting class on the defensive side of the ball. Caleb Kelly found himself in a similar situation to where I believe under the old regime, we're saying here's a guy who's talented enough to start. We just need to find a way onto the field for him mm-hmm. instead of maybe giving him that red shirt season to figure some things out or let some attrition happen and graduations happen to where they fill in at their natural position with a year in the weight room with the nutritionist as well as a year in that scheme developing themselves not only physically but also as a, a leader of the team yeah i i agree i agree um and and I, I just like the fact that we're starting to see some nuts and bolts come out about Oklahoma's defense as opposed to we want to be fast and we want to take the ball away. He's Rich. I'm Matt. Sooner Nation Podcast, online podcast of Heartland Sports, heartland-sports.com. Okay, uh, let's switch gears. Um, I could talk football the whole time, and truthfully, I think probably our podcast listeners would be okay with that. But uh, there's more going on than just football at the University of Oklahoma. Lon Kruger sees two players uh, go into the transfer portal. Ty Lizenby uh, was the second one. Matt Freeman, I, I, like we, I, I even mentioned it, I think, last week. I knew Matt Freeman had a foot out the door when he participated in senior night with the University of Oklahoma. No, he still had a year of eligibility. Um, Matt Freeman obviously hurts more than Lazenby does, but... Um, any thoughts on that? I mean, Oklahoma's got a, a really good recruiting class coming in, and, and including a couple of JUCO guys. One of them being a guard, um, a shooting guard. Um, I look. I just, I think it's a crowded bench, and, and Freeman and Lazenby both want to play college basketball. Yeah, for me, when I'm looking at the situation, it, it's it's really easy to focus on 
on what you're losing. Why? Because you lose not only experience, you lose a little bit of leadership, but more specifically, you lose some depth at those positions. Experienced depth. I'm going to combine those two, even though I went with experience first. But the truth is, when we look at what Oklahoma's got coming in, you know, they have a nationally ranked, okay, I guess every... Every recruiting class is nationally ranked. So let's rephrase that and say they've got they've got a top 20 recruiting class coming in this year. And that's for good reason. It, it's not that Lon Kruger is unable to coach. It's not that he's unable to motivate. It was a byproduct of a lot of surprises last year, why we didn't see Oklahoma closer to the top of the field when it came to the recruiting mm-hmm. class. And now we're, we're just seeing that boost up towards the top once again because we were already in the know. I think they had a conversation, Freeman, Lazenby. I think Lon Kruger knew, being the man that he is. I'm not surprised he didn't mention a word about it and let them have their moments and let them be the ones who announce their decisions. But in reality, I do think there was a, a conversation behind closed doors. And it's, it's probably for the better for every party involved here. Well, and I think Lazenby did. I'm I'm pretty sure Lazenby made his announcement via Facebook or Twitter or something to to actually see that that happen. So um, I, it wasn't a big deal to me how it gets announced. I mean, once you once you go into the once you go into the transfer portal, I you I, I feel like here, here's the way I feel about it. Right or wrong, I feel like once you go in the transfer portal, the it's the public knowledge. Well, and the university owes you no loyalty at that point. Well, I'm not saying that they did, Matt. I'm just saying they each had their opportunity to announce it in various ways. Well, and and again, Matt Freeman basically announced it by standing there with the seniors. I got you. Yeah, I'm so, on board. All right. Well, we got to switch over to baseball because we got some things to talk about here suddenly. Baseball drops a three-game series. They drop a two games to one at West Virginia after winning Friday night. One one good inning where they get two runs was enough to propel them to a two-to-one win. Sooner's still in good shape, but here's where this becomes really kind of a hurtful thing for them in that 22-7 and seven is the, the most wins in the Big 12. I mean, they, they, they have the best record in the Big 12 at 22-7. and seven, But in conference play, now they're 4-2 and two instead of 5-1. and one, And where that hurts you is that drops you. Baylor, Oklahoma State tied at the top at 5-1. and one. Here's Oklahoma the next level down at 4-2. and two. Sooners are playing Oral Roberts University right now as we're recording this. But we've talked about pitching quite often since the season started, Rich. But it wasn't pitching, in my opinion, that let him down as much this go-around as it was, truthfully, it, it was the hitting. Hitting just disappeared over the weekend. And maybe that was cold. It was cold in West Virginia. Maybe. I, I don't know what it was. But it's something that this team has to correct. And and I've said it before. I, I would rather, if I'm going to lose something, I would rather go through a hitting slump than a pitching slump because hitters seem to come around a lot quicker than um, – than than pitchers do so cause for concern after dropping two or three in morgantown i don't know that it's cause for concern but it's definitely something to keep an eye on you want to talk about maybe pitching not taking a step back 
West Virginia put up 12 runs, eight in one inning against them. I get you're dipping into the bullpen, but that's the second game of the series. Mm -hmm. A game that Oklahoma was firmly in when they, even though it was, I believe, 4-0 to start that game, Oklahoma came back and, and really made a play for challenging for that win. Unfortunately, the ball didn't bounce their direction this time, but I'm looking at that 12 runs scored and saying, we have good starting pitching staff. Where where does the bullpen stand? Are they as good as we thought they were because of the non-conference portion of the schedule? And now we're seeing this regression just like we saw with basketball? Or are we seeing just the, the natural uptick in competitiveness because you are now, as well as talent, because you are now in conference play? Yeah, Sooners play TCU over the weekend. Uh, this coming weekend, the Frogs 17-9 overall, 3-3 three and three in Big 12 play. You, you drop one, you got to get one back. So Oklahoma, it, it, here's the thing. Here's the thing to keep in perspective when we're talking about this Oklahoma baseball team is that Baseball America picked Oklahoma to finish next to last in the Big 12 conference. They, they, they picked them to finish just ahead of Kansas. So the fact that we're talking about, okay, you want to stay in the hunt for the for the for the conference championship, you got to take two or three or sweep TCU. That's a that's a that's a long way from going from being next to last. But suddenly you drop two or three again against TCU, and you've lost two straight conference series. Then you start moving a lot closer down to the southern end of the standings than the northern end of the standings. That's where that West Virginia is not a great team. West Virginia is 16-11 overall, and with their two-game win over Oklahoma, they're 2-4 and four now in conference play. So it, it, you never really want to compare sports, but if you do, this loss is a lot more uh, similar to Oklahoma's loss in basketball in Morgantown when it was not a great West Virginia basketball team that beat the Sooners either in Morgantown or in Kansas City. It's, it's a series. You can drop one game, but you need to take that series. Now you got a middle-of-the-pack team in TCU. you got to take that series. Someone who's really soaring right now and not necessarily floundering is Oklahoma's softball team. Sooners coming off their fourth consecutive run rule uh, victory. They took two, um, a doubleheader Saturday, uh, excuse me, Sunday against Utah. Um, Rich, look, I, you, you and I, we're just going to cut to the chase. They, they can hit the ball, okay? Here, here's the rub on softball right now, and it's not a bad rub. This, I mean, when when you when you find this to kind of disagree about, it means you're pretty good. And this is not a knock against Mariah Lopez, as much as it is an observation. In that I've seen over the last couple of weeks, I've seen Mariah Lopez go from where I thought she was maybe the ace of this staff, you know. And we've talked about with. I remember past episodes talking about Giselle Juarez coming in and how incredible it was, how good Mariah Lopez was doing with G. Juarez being on this staff. But I would rank her three right now, Rich. I I, I, <laughs> I would say Juarez number one, uh, Shannon Sale number two, and then and then it is a for me it is a distant number three for Mariah Lopez. Again, she's good. I mean, she's really good. But I'm I'm watching. I was there. I, I watched them play the Tulsa game last week. I sat right behind home plate. I watched them pitch. Batters are making contact against Lopez. She didn't have a great outing against Texas Tech. They finally made contact and pushed run, a run across against uh, Tulsa. And then you look at the performance at Utah over the weekend. Batters are starting to make contact with her. She has a great record, and Oklahoma's offense is to be reckoned with. But 
uh, we, we talked about how Patty Gasol moves these pitchers around. I don't know that I'm I'm not, if I'm ranking them, well, I am ranking them. I, I've got Juarez, Sale, Lopez. You agree or disagree? No, I, I wholeheartedly disagree. And and the reality for me, Matt, is it's very clear that Patty Gasso is taking a different approach than what we've seen over the past four years. Mm-hmm. Whereas there was this heavy reliance on Paige Parker to carry the team. You get Paige Lowry, who transferred in. All of a sudden, she becomes the closer. Yes, she started a few games, but for the majority of the duration of the four years that she was on campus, Paige Parker anchored this team. Oklahoma didn't have that coming into this season. And I know Patty Gasso has harped on it, that it is going to look a little bit different, that they're not going to rely just on Mm -hmm. one ace, a.k.a. you're saying it's Juarez. I still think Mariah Lopez has a lot left in the tank. I think she just had a little bit of dip in productivity. Why? Because she isn't used to stepping out on the field every single game and being relied on to deliver. Now, I know that may have happened for her in high school, but on the collegiate level, she's but, always been behind someone. But you're agreeing with me that she, in the moment, is not pitching as well yeah, as Juarez yeah, and Sale. I, I can't disagree with that. Okay, so then but, she's three. But I, I'm saying if I had to rank them, I've got Juarez one. I still have Sale number three, which leaves Lopez no, okay, let me as ask, number two. Okay. Because I believe, okay, I right. believe Sale comes in, in in just a relief role more often I, than not. Sale, in my opinion... Sale is the most impressive of the three pitchers. Why? Because she's tell, done it tell all. Tell me what you see. I, I see. First of all, I see a strikeout queen. All right, she just she is the master of the strikeout. I can't say strikeout king. It's base, not baseball. I right? know. It's but what I'm seeing is she is. I mean, she the way she pitches. Uh, okay, Juarez is a flamethrower. I it. I have. See, you, that's how I feel about Sale. But you look. You have seen. And I have seen Juarez at the World Series. Mm-hmm. But, and I know you get down lower because you get to do the photography part of it. But where, where the media sits at the World Series is a lot different than where we get to sit in the stadium in Norman, right? So that's as close as I've ever been to Giselle Juarez last Wednesday night. And I, when she, I mean, I literally, when she threw, I was like, whoa. Because you get a greater appreciation of the velocity that she has, right? But she's a straight flamethrower. I, I believe um, Lopez works the ball around. She doesn't have the gas that Juarez does, but she can She can work it. She can do a rise ball. She can sink it. She can pitch inside, outside. That's her thing. I don't. What is Shannon Sales' thing? I don't know, other than she strikes people out. I mean, her, her strikeout ratio to innings pitched, is, I, I don't, I'm just guessing, okay? I can't tell you this for sure. When you start talking, I'll try to go to some stats. But I'd be willing to bet that Shannon Sales' strikeout to innings pitched ratio is the highest in the Big 12. I'm, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm going blind on that. Yeah, and you... to, to me, for her to be able to do this, she can come in as a, as a closer. She can be a starter. She can be a reliever. And she does it all. I mean, she is that utility pitcher. You know, you, you talk about a utility player that can play anywhere in the infield or whatever. She's a pitcher that can do whatever you want her to do. And that, to me, that makes her really impressive. I'm not disagreeing with the points that you're making here. I'm disagreeing with, with how you're ranking them. That is the But see, that's what thing. doesn't make sense is because you're disagreeing with how I'm ranking them, but you're also agreeing mm-hmm. with me. But here's the thing, Matt, is when we look at it like someone in... I, I think the trio is 
I mean, just flat out impressive. They could be one of the best pitching uh, groups in the country I agree. in softball. I, and and I, so it's I, hard to say let's separate these players by a degree of difference, by two degrees mm-hmm. difference. And that's what I feel like we're doing. We're splitting hairs over this because they do each have a role. I agree with you. Mariah Lopez has stepped out and she delivered, what was it, six wins to begin the season mm-hmm. for Oklahoma as a starting pitcher. And she was still having to give way to the G. Juarez and the Shannon Sales here and there, right? Well, yeah, and, and where Lopez's role, her key role on this team was that early part to to hold things together. Why Juarez and Sale kind of got their feet underneath them, so to speak. Does that make sense? Yeah, I see what you're saying. I just don't agree with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, I, I'm trying to find this. Um, yeah, I'm pulling up statistics okay, look, myself because right, I'm I, curious. I, now. Okay, listen, I, I've got it right here. Okay. Strikeouts per seven innings, All right, uh-huh. Giselle Juarez... Nine four four. So every seven innings, she's striking out almost nine and a half batters. Okay. Okay. Mariah Lopez ten oh nine. Every seven innings, she's striking out ten batters. Shannon Sale, she's at twelve point nine seven. So almost every every seven innings, she strikes out thirteen batters. That is impressive. It is. She's made seventeen appearances, and- which is the same as Lopez. She's got six starts on the season. She's six and one as a as um, as as the as a pitcher, and she's got three saves. She's only pitched forty five point one innings compared to seventy nine point one for Juarez and sixty eight point two for Lopez. But yet strikeouts, she's only fifteen strikeouts behind Lopez. She is, but she here is where I believe Shannon Sale is is a little bit below Mariah Lopez. Is I believe she has one pitch that she relies on heavily, and that's a fastball. It Be- works though. It does. You're right. And so, like I said, because we're pulling stats here, she hasn't. She's done half the work of the other two pitchers. Are we in agreement with that? Mm-hmm. But she has n- nearly an equal amount of hits against her. Right. I'm not saying that's a problem because clearly this defense is capable of of making things happen after players get on base after there's a base runner cemented there and looking potentially to round the bases and score. But here is what I am saying is that Shannon Sale has a little more development to go. She's a, I'm not saying she's a one pitch pitcher, but it certainly looks like that right now when I'm comparing them to a Juarez or a Lopez style of pitcher. Here's what's crazy. All three of these pitchers are only juniors. So they're (laughs) going to be around one more, one more year. All right. Minute and a half left. We got to talk about the Oklahoma City Thunder closing out on this. I, I, I was able to go on um, the Thunder Guys podcast uh, on Monday night. Uh, thankful to those guys for having me on. But the, the state of Oklahoma City basketball is not good right now with, with just a minute left to talk, Rich. They're playing the Lakers tonight. They're number one. They're, they're right now in the eighth seed of the NBA uh, Western Conference. Um, they could move up. They could drop down. Here's what I want to know. In your opinion, is this team moving beyond the first round of the playoffs? Why or why not? I I think they have the potential to. If I had to lay it on the line, it really depends on that seeding, Matt. You're saying eight, which means they likely draw Golden State. That's a difficult first round draw. This Oklahoma City team in the past was built to compete with the Golden State. I'm not taking that stance this year, specifically when I look at the composition of the Thunder. Needless to say, if they're the eight seed, I think they're outed in the first round. 
Well, I, I, the way they're playing right now, there's five games left. Mm-hmm. The way they're playing right now, I don't think it matters what seed they're in. Because there, there's just See, a I do. No, I don't. Because I think this team plays, the way they're playing right now, it's just a bunch of I don't care. I mean, they, you look at the Dallas loss on Sunday. You had Paul George getting beat on, on, on the dribble right there at crunch time that gives Dallas the lead. You got Russell Westbrook jacking up a 40-foot shot at the buzzer. Well, really, there's four seconds left, and he jacks up a 40-foot shot. This team right now is playing like they just don't care. And to me, that means bad basketball, first-round entrance. We're out of time. We don't have time to argue about that anymore. Uh, he's Rich. I'm Matt. You can find us on Twitter, at Sports Heartland. At Sports Heartland on Twitter. Heartland-sports.com is where you can find us on the interweb. Uh, thanks for listening. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you want to talk about or where you agree or disagree. Have a great week, everyone. Boomer Center.